But let me just pray, and I want to do my best to bring the Word. Holy Spirit, thank you for this morning. Holy Ghost, help me to speak with clarity this morning. Help me to be able to communicate what you want me to communicate. You know, your Word has the power to change our hearts and change our lives. Your Word goes way deeper than anything else I could say. Your, your, your word is the power that, that takes a grip on somebody's heart and penetrates through bone and marrow, and, and it has the ability to be able to make change. And so I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us be refreshed and encouraged by this word and also have an understanding of what we can do in, in the whole application side of things to be able to live in victory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. It's good to see you, church. Thank you for coming. For anyone who is new or has just recently come to our church, welcome. You're especially welcome, and please make sure that you stick around after the service to be able to get to know the family, right? Because it, it is a very welcoming, welcoming family. But I want to preach this morning. I want to preach on um, what I've called a kingdom, kingdom uniform. And I'll get to the the reason why I'm, I'm speaking about kingdom uniform in a little bit. Uh, it's almost as if the, there's a title that I, I feel like God's given me, but it, right until the end of the sermon, it kind of makes sense of why I've, I've chosen to call what I'm speaking on today kingdom, kingdom uniform. But what I want to do is I want to start with, you know, Matthew 6.10. And it's funny because there's been a little bit of a theme, you might have noticed, that I was preaching about the Lord's Prayer when I came back from Cambodia and, and kind of shared about what I learned from the Church of Cambodia. And then Pastor Jack came and again, you know, preached from the Lord's Prayer and preached a, a passage of where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so again, I want to go there for a moment. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can I ask you, and can I ask myself, is this a prayer that we are now employing in, into our prayer life? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A couple of weeks ago, I reminded us that the, the, the disciple came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples. And Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And you know what? He prayed this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I challenged us with this thought. I said, the disciples asked Jesus, and are we disciples this morning? Who's a disciple of Jesus Christ? Can I have a, hand, a show of hands? We are disciples of Jesus Christ. And I encourage us that we ought to ask the same question. Lord, teach me how to pray. It was relevant back then when he spoke to his disciples it's still relevant today. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus, if you prayed this prayer, it's got to be important. It's got, it's got to be fulfilled because I don't think there's a prayer that Jesus would pray that wouldn't accomplish much, correct? He would pray a prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now we pray the same prayer. So can I encourage you, in your prayer life, this prayer, it encourages us to remember our mission and our mandate. Because sometimes, 
life has its way of knocking us about. Life has its way of causing us to be distracted by many things. But when you pray this prayer, can I encourage you that it, it takes your mindset and your heart and it helps you center yourself to the purpose, the mission, the mandate that we have on us as the body of believers. Lord, this is a prayer you prayed and I'm going to pray it right now amongst everything that's going on in my life. Lord, allow me to see your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven, amongst my community, amongst the people that I have influence with. Lord, let it be the case. Let me read another scripture that will help me build a bit of a foundation for where I want to go. Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now the context of that verse comes from the fundamental needs that you and I need every single day. We need food. We need clothing. And Jesus addresses, yes, all that is important, but prioritize as number one, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Here's my thought, church. Where does your life sit with the seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness? Everybody is in a different place of life. Everybody might be you know, at a different point of their walk with the Lord. But can I challenge you to take this ownership of this verse? Make it your own. I am, try and make it my own. I say, God, seek ye first the kingdom. Sometimes, can I encourage you? Sometimes it feels natural and it feels right to focus on everything else but the kingdom because our human nature and our flesh takes over. We think, you know what? I've got to attend to the needs. I've got these burdens that are piling up. I need to be the one that fixes all this. And sometimes we put aside the seek ye first, the kingdom, and we go around, like I kind of spoke about last week, like Martha, grasping, trying to grab control of things. But God, He reminds us, Jesus reminds us. It's the words of Jesus. He helps us understand that there's an order in which we should live our lives. And that is, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. So my challenge to you is, maybe for some of us, seek ye first the kingdom might look like, Lord, I'm going to start prioritizing Sunday as a, a place that I come every week. It's not an option for me. I seek ye first the kingdom. Maybe that is your step of taking ownership of this verse and saying, I will come and I'll be involved in church every single week. Maybe. Maybe for others, seek ye first might mean in our finance. It might mean, God, okay, I'm going to, this is a little bit challenging for me because I feel like I am letting go of the control, the handle, the, the, the driver's seat. But I'm going to trust you, Lord, that as I seek ye first with my finance, your promise will come true that everything else, the needs that you know I have, you will take care of. Maybe seek ye first. Maybe it means water baptism. Maybe you haven't been water baptized yet. 
And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, if there's a step that I can take to seek ye first the kingdom, that's my step. Sign me up. When are we doing water baptism? We don't have to make it so formal. You know, if you call me up in a week and say, hey, Dave, I want to get water baptized, we can go to the local Gangalan Lake. <laughs> I remember, I never forget when, the, when there was a bore that went into the water. Um, you know, behind Nichols, there's a bit of a pond there near the golf course. And I had to be heroic for my kids. And it was cold. It was winter. It was just coming out of winter. And I go, all right. And so I swim, and I swam as fast as I could because I was freaking out some ill was going to wrap around my leg and drag me down or some you know, movie that I've watched. Something's going to come up and just eat me and stuff alive. But my point is, listen, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. What does that mean to you? Take ownership of this verse for yourself. Don't take it from me. Take it to heart and say, God, I'm listening what does that look like in my life, in my context? What does that look like? I know for me, as a pastor, you know what, seek ye first the kingdom? Of course, and righteousness, of course it's important in my life as a father, as a husband, as an employee, but also as a pastor, I'm saying, God, allow this church to be a church that runs after the cause of Jesus Christ and focuses on what is most important. Seek ye first, Lord. Let, let me be a pastor that leads a church that is outward focused. That is not about our little circle of community and we don't want to go anywhere or touch anybody. No, Lord, seek ye first. Amen? Can anyone take that to heart? Can anyone be encouraged by that? Because I don't know where you are in your walk, but I know that this verse can be applied to every single one of us. This morning, and one more mission and mandate before I kind of go a little bit of a different direction, but it will all make sense in the end. Luke 17 21 says this Nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. And I love what Pastor Jack was speaking about that we, as the body of Christ, can make common ground into holy ground because the scripture says, that for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Can you believe the responsibility and, and, and the amazing thought that is that where you go, you take the kingdom of God? Can you believe that when you walk into a place that is lacking peace, when you're talking to somebody that their world is in turmoil, they are up against it, can you believe that as you being a kingdom person, you take the kingdom of God because the kingdom is within us. You speak to people and you have the ability to be able to show them a joy and a peace that they have never known through Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful scripture and a reminder of the mission and mandate on us. We carry the kingdom Amen. Everywhere you and I go, the kingdom of God goes. You bring with you, within you, the kingdom of God wherever, wherever you go. Okay. So I've kind of brought us back to the mission and mandate, and I often will because it's, it should be the desire of our heart to, Lord, we are on this earth to align our hearts and our minds with what is important to you, God. And I know that 
I know that you care for us and you are the God that, you know, of the miraculous and you'll help us. But Lord, we never want to get focused upon this temporal state and place. We want to keep focusing on what is eternal, what God has in store for us as the body of Christ, as the partners with him in this mission. But let me take this a little bit in a different direction. And I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, some confronting scripture, perhaps. Confronting, but I want to bring out the hope in what is confronting, but not shy away from what is confronting, because we are called to preach the word, and, and the word sometimes will confront you in different ways. But John 17, 14 says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Quite a remarkable scripture when you think about it. Jesus speaks of the hatred of the world towards those who are not of this world. I'm not of this world. Anybody with me? I'm not of this world. Hallelujah. Pastor Sue, there's one. Cola, thank you. Yes, amen. We're not of this world, right? This hatred was the case in Jesus' day, and it is still the case today, right? And you see it. You see it amongst the universities. You see it amongst the secular world, that there is an anti-Christ movement. It's almost like we can tolerate anything but Jesus Christ. We can tolerate the, the Muslim faith. We can tolerate whatever. But Jesus Christ, no, no, no. We see that, that there is an anti-Jesus. And yet Jesus, knowing of the hatred, by the way, is this an uplifting sermon? <laughs> Let me get there because God, He wants us to have hope in everything, even when we are confronted with Challenging scripture. And yet Jesus, knowing of the hatred towards his people, prays, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. You need to stay put, not run away. Okay, so we are to stay here according to the prayer of Jesus. But what now? How should we live our lives knowing the world hates us? And the evil one is against us. How should we live with that thought in mind? <laughs> should we run and hide? I know some people do. I definitely know some people hunker down and get out of the main town and hide and run. Should we take cover? Should we stay quiet? Because as long as we're quiet, we're not going to be disrupting anything. Should we blend in? Isn't that the case in some of the church world? This need to blend in. As long as we're, you know, similar enough, we'll just disguise ourselves as we're, we're almost like you were just a little bit different. Should we blend in? Should we compromise God's word? Should we say, that, oh, this passage is wonderful. Oh, but this passage, don't go there because this passage will offend too many people. Should we? Should we give up? 
Jesus says, you will be hated, right? But he says, stay put. So what is our response? What should it be? What should our response be? Not at all. Should that be the response of what I've just talked about? Not at all. Listen to the words of Jesus. In Matthew eleven twelve. he says this, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. It's a little bit of a different approach, opposite to what I was saying. Give up, blend in, hide away, run away. No, 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 no. No, no, no. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. We are called, can I encourage us that we are called to have a violent approach towards advancing the kingdom of God. A violent approach, not an approach of apathy, of she'll be right, mate. Not at all, but a violent approach to advancing the kingdom of God. Now, this verse is not speaking, obviously, it's not speaking of physical violence, right? Because most of us here might fail that test, unless you're like my younger brother who was a boxer, and he could pass that test because he used to fight. We're not talking about a physical violence, but rather violence in the spiritual realm. And it's funny because Pastor Sue had no idea what I was going to be speaking about, but she touched on the, the presence of the enemy and demons. And I want to go there for a moment. It's a violence, right, not of a physical nature, but rather violence in the spiritual realm. Being forceful through prayer and action. Prayer and action. So prayer, church, can I encourage us that prayer enables doors to be opened. Prayer, what it does is it breaks up the ground that is unbroken. Prayer, what it does is you are literally asking God to go ahead of you, right? As you go into a situation, it doesn't mean don't take action, but what it does is it prepares the way for you to take action. Does that make sense? Prayer is key, and prayer is a way of forcefully advancing the kingdom of God as we go forward. Prayer and action. I know the other day, uh, Joe and I and, and, and Pastor Sue was there. There was a, a, a bit of an um, abortion peaceful protest at Parliament. That's taking action. But what preceded that, before that happened, there was a prayer meeting on the night before this peaceful protest happened. As I said, prayer and action. Prayer in itself without the action, obviously, doesn't accomplish much. We need to be able to go, God, we are your army. We will move forward, but be with us. Go before us, go behind us, lay your hand upon us, and let us be in your mighty hand as we boldly advance the kingdom of God. And praise God as we pray the prayer of Jesus, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is building His church. Hallelujah. And you are and I am the evidence of that. Where would we be if it wasn't for His, His kingdom being built on this earth? You are. You are part of this wonderful story 
of God advancing the kingdom on this earth. You and I are. God is building His church. The violent are taking godly dominion on this earth by force. We can be hopeful and confident for the future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is in this. God is totally in this. But for the remainder of the message, I want to talk about the violent approach towards advancing the kingdom of God. What does that look like? What does this violent approach look like in advancing the kingdom of God? I want to teach us how to prepare ourselves to win a battle that is being fought in the unseen. There is a battle and it is being fought in the unseen. And I want to prepare us how do we enter into that battle being victors and winning. Whether you are aware of it or not, Spiritual warfare is real. It really is. It occurs. It happens. Jesus prayed that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, here's the thing. Where's the evil one? Where is he? Right? We know he's present because the evidence suggests, right, in some of what we see around the world, there is an evil one. And he is running rampant, trying to steal, kill, and destroy. We see that. Although we don't see him, we know it is real. There is an evil one, and that you should keep them from the evil one is what Jesus prayed. But praise God that we are given instructions on how to overcome Satan as we continue to partner with God in building his church. Lord, we're, we're, we're not going to back down. We're going to advance your kingdom. We know that there's an enemy. It's a real enemy. Though unseen, we know it's, it's real. But thank you that you're giving us the ability to be able to move forward with confidence knowing that you're with us. Let's learn from the Apostle Paul. As he instructs the Ephesus church, Paul issues a warning. He wishes a warning at the end of his letter, about a tough time his people will face. They're up against Satan himself, an enemy who will do everything to stop their progress. But instead of moping about the situation, what does Paul do? Paul lays out a specific plan for the Ephesian friends. They are not to approach this fight in their own strength, but remember that only God can defeat the enemy. Only God can defeat the enemy. As a warrior, as a warrior, God fills a role His people desperately need. We need you, God, to fight this battle. We need you, Lord. Serving as an officer under God, Paul issues orders for the troops. He's issuing orders. This morning, as God's army, we are being issued with orders. And I'm going to go there in a moment. Every one of us is being issued with orders, just like the Ephesus church was. Pay attention to what we are instructed to do. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might. In the power 
of his might. God is, God is your protector. God is your defender. God is your deliverer. God is your provider. He is your guide. God is. Romans 8.31, I love this. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God, if he is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Nobody. If God is for us. And if you are a child of God and you believe that you know, he is Savior, he is King, then God is for you, he's not against you. And if he is for you, who can be against you? Amen? Let's move on. Ephesians 6, 11 says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle. Here it is. I told you it's not a physical battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Verse 11 and 12 gives us a strategy to win, church. Gives us a strategy to win. We are instructed to put on the whole armor of God. Kingdom uniform. There is a uniform that we wear. We obviously wear our shirts here this morning and Thank God that we've got, we're well-dressed and, and all that. But can I encourage you that there is a uniform that you are putting on every day, instructed by our chief commander in charge, Paul, saying, put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Amen. A strategy to win. We are instructed to put the whole armor of God, kingdom uniform, wearing a uniform. Let me tell you something about, something about a uniform. Wearing a uniform helps people identify who I'm with or who I belong to, doesn't it? Think about this. And I know I'm not going to do this to you because you'll chuck me out and throw stones at me, but I would be tempted to wear my Penrith Panther uniform, right? Because when I do that, you know exactly who I'm with, where I'm from, doesn't matter where I go. I'm identified as, oh, that's the uniform of a Penrith Panther. And of course, Sid tried to, you know, um, put his camera scarf on me, and I'm still, you know, regretful of that day. And hopefully the photos have been erased, and, y you know, you'll never be able to see it again, that photo. It was, it's a terrible photo. But the point is, who are you with? Who do you come from? When you put on the whole armor of God, guess, guess what? Guess what? The devil recognizes this uniform and knows who you belong to. Oh, right. Lukeman. Oh, he's got the helmet of salvation. Well, I recognize that. And that's not easy to penetrate through. He's got the helmet of salvation. Oh, David, he's got the breastplate of righteousness. Calvin has girded his loins with the belt of truth. 
cow has shod his feet with the gospel of peace. Mary, she's got the shield of faith. Edson, he's taken his sword, the sword of the Spirit. Oh, I recognize that uniform. That's not somebody I like to mess with. That's not somebody that I can easily push around and torment and throw accusations against because they belong to somebody. They belong to the king. And they are wearing their uniform. Hello. This morning, can I encourage you to not underestimate the uniform that Apostle Paul is asking us to put on? Kingdom uniform. Amen? Some of us here today, can I tell you something? We forget to clothe ourselves with kingdom uniform. And we wonder why we come under attack. And I'm not judging you. And this is here now to build you up, to remind you, to, for some of us, to help you realize that as the body of Christ, you are not helpless. You are not, you know, an easy prey for the enemy, especially when you realize that there's a kingdom uniform. And you can put it on this morning. I'm not saying it's always easy. I'm not saying that sometimes, even with your uniform, you feel like you are fighting the wiles of the devil. But can I tell you something? When you've got a shield, when you've got the armor of God, you will stand. And after doing all, you will continue to stand. You will stand. You will not fall. Each piece of the armor of God design, is designed to protect us from the wiles of the devil. And what I want to do is I'm not going to go there today because of time, but I really would love to explore each piece of the armor in the next weeks to come, okay? I want to talk about what is a helmet of salvation? What is that talking about? Mind, often, the assault on the mind, right, is such a real thing. We were, praying, we were singing that song, you know, I speak Jesus over depression, over anxiety. You know, that mind sometimes is so vulnerable, so, sometimes so susceptible to the news of the day, hearing bad reports, we become vulnerable. But let me tell you something about the helmet. You put that helmet on, helmet of salvation. There's a protection that comes upon this mind of ours. We're, we're reminded that this helmet of salvation, guess what? When you are a believer of Jesus Christ, the Bible says you have the mind of who? The mind of Christ. You put it on in the morning. This morning, I have the mind of Christ. Not the mind of confusion. Not the mind of depression. And I don't say that with judgment, trust me. Because I've walked the road of difficulty. I've walked the road of challenge. I've walked the road of depression. I know, I'm not saying that, in a, chucking that out as it's an easy, easy to overcome or anything like that. But can I encourage you with this? You are not helpless. You are not powerless. You are not an easy target when you put on the uniform of God that we are instructed to do. Verse 12 also gives us a knowledge of the opposition. Isn't that important? We need to know who we're fighting, right? And of course, you know, a sporting event can't kind of um, 
be a good enough example, I guess, but you know that when one team is facing another team, they will study their opposition. They will work out what is the, what's the ploy, what's the, how does this team do what they do? What are their weak spots, right? So it's important that verse 12, we suddenly realize we have knowledge of the opposition, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. When you begin to think that there's a fight against your neighbor or against your family member, come to realize for a second, hang on a second, although this conflict is real with Dilippe, we're fighting, we're at odds, and you hang on a second, the Bible reminds me that this fight is not flesh and blood. No, no, no. It's against principalities. It's against powers, okay? It's against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wow, thank you, Lord, that you actually helped me understand who my opposition is. This verse highlights who we are at war with, not the flesh and blood, Suddenly I realize why logic and common sense doesn't win battles. Have you ever, have you ever wondered about that? You think to yourself sometimes, and I don't mean to be morbid, but some of what is happening on this earth, you know, Joe and I watch a, a program that informs us of some of the woeful things that happen in the States. My wife happens to be America, American, so we like to keep ourselves informed with what's going on in the States. And some of what you hear is unfathomable. You, you cannot fathom how things are happening that are not like, how can you not see the truth here? How can you say that my shirt is red? It's black. Right? Am I right or am I colorblind? Is my shirt black? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was. <laughs> but it helped, this, this passage helps me realize that, you know, we're not, coming up against logic or common sense, that doesn't win the battles. We're up against principalities and powers. Instead of that logic and common sense having a good result, it just falls on deaf ears, correct? It's like, and the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Oh, right. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Thank you, Lord, for helping me understand that I can have a Christ-like loving approach to those who are completely and utterly lost, those who reject truth, those who turn their ears to, to being deaf to what I have to say. Thank you, Lord, that you helped me realize that it is because there is a war going on. And I don't have to be discouraged, but I put on the armor of God. And I realize that I can go forward regardless of the wiles of the enemy, regardless of what I see and believe that as I'm identified by the, by the enemy as being a kingdom man, I can go forward in victory. I want to pretty much finish up in a moment, but there, 
Let me just read from Ephesians 6.13. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, verse 13 clearly teaches us the resources we need. It gives me a real understanding. This, if you want to stand, if you want to stand, not short term, if you want to stand long term, this is the resources that you need. We need the whole armor of God. There's no question about it. So that I can withstand in the evil day. I, I'd say we are living in an evil day. But thank God we are taught how to stand. Can anybody say amen to that? Is anybody encouraged by the thought that you don't have to be a boxing bag for the enemy walking around you know, tormented, afflicted. It's crazy that although God has given us the opportunity to have life and life more abundantly, many of us Christians don't ever step into that realm of life and life more abundantly because we don't realize the resources that we have and we don't regularly, by faith, put on the armor of God I want to encourage you. Don't allow this message to be one that goes through one ear out the other. Tomorrow morning, pray that through. Lord, I put, on, I put on the helmet of salvation this morning. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Gird my loins with the belt of truth, Lord, please. Shod my feet with the gospel of peace. Lord, I'm not, I'm not leaving my home without my shield because I know that it's only within an hour, that I'm going to be regretting that decision that I didn't take the shield of faith. And boy, do I need my sword. Because we're not just sitting here defending. No, no, we take a sword because the sword represents an offensive approach, a forward movement, a forward motion. I come in to this day victorious because of what he has allowed me to have and to put on. I'm going to finish with Ephesians 6, 14 to 18, and then we'll wrap up the service. It says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Because we know they come. We know they come. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I just love how this passage finishes with what I was sharing earlier, that it's not just about you know, uh, the, the prayer allows us to take action. It allows us to move forward. It allows the gospel to be advanced on this earth as we pray, as we believe that he goes before us. Can anybody say amen?